Lazarus, the beggar that uh, Jesus talked about, was laid at this gate uh, of this rich man longing to eat the food that fell from his table. He was sick, he had sores on his body, and uh, the dogs were coming to lick the sores. Isn't that lovely? But uh, he was just he was as broken outwardly as you could be, but he knew Jesus. I love the fact that in Scripture, over and over again, you see in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of sin, in the midst of failure, God inserts his butt into that. But this takes place. Christ has come to solve the situation. Lazarus died, and the Bible says he was taken into heaven. What a wonderful blessing. I want you to know something. I don't know what you're facing today, but Jesus can step into your situation and turn it around. He can also give you grace to navigate your circumstance. Um, We need God's grace, don't we? We need His grace because of our sin. We need His grace because we can't do in our own strength what God calls us to do. Uh, The scripture we're going to talk about today uh, is a scripture that by and large is a negative scripture because it talks about the effects of Adam and Eve's sin. But in the middle of this darkness, God inserts his light. God's not finished with Adam and Eve. They failed him, yes. But God is not finished. And he gives several things as an indicator of that. One is, he says, I'm going to send a seed who is going to crush the head of the serpent. He gives them hope in that regard. Also, He gives them hope because he tells Eve, Adam calls Eve the mother of the living. That's what her name means, living one. Uh, And it's really ironic because God has just finished saying, you're going to die and you're going to return to the dust. And then Adam says, I'm going to call you the living one. Uh, And isn't that what God does? In the midst of our death, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our failure, he comes in and he brings resurrection He restores us and sets us on his path through the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. Uh, God also declares his purpose for them. And so God is showing them that he is not yet finished with them. And uh, and so uh, the title of my message is How God Restores Our Hope. How God restores our hope. We're going to read Genesis 3.15, and then we're going to skip down to verse 20. So look with me at verse 15. He's talking to the serpent here, and he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Look at verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God said, since man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. 
He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. So Adam and Eve are now outside the garden. God has, has uh, expelled them from the garden. Uh, but God offers them hope. How does God restore our hope when things are not as they need to be? Uh, the first w- way he restores it is he appoints the seed. He appoints the seed. Now, Genesis 3.15 can be taken on one, on one hand as a prediction of men and snakes not getting along. And we see that, don't we? Uh, yeah, that's right. We do. Uh, I remember I was outside one, one time, uh, noticed uh, a, a snake crawling up the back, and I heard my wife scream, and so I'd run to see what was going on, and it was a chicken snake. I didn't know it was a chicken snake. It kind of looked like a rattler to me, so I got a shovel, and uh, I, started, I started killing the snake, and I, I eventually... Uh, uh, finished the job and everything, and I was asking people about it. it doesn't have a rattle on it, but it kind of looks like one. They said, that's a chicken snake. And so um, I've had my personal experience with this, but this is about more than just men and snakes. And one, w- one way that you see that is he uses a singular for seed, and even though seed can be taken in a collective way, in, the, in a plural way, uh, he also uses singular pronouns. If you look in verse 15, he says, He, singular, will strike your head. You will strike his heel. Now, if you get bit in the heel by a snake, unless it's one of those black mambas or something like that that kills you in three seconds, most of the time you can recover from that, can't you? But if a snake has his head crushed, they're not recovering from that. It's over. You see, Satan struck Jesus at the cross, but Jesus arose. And in the, in the cross and in his resurrection, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. Well, I thought the devil was still active. He is. D-Day has come, though. He's been crushed, and Christ will one day consummate that. He'll be bound for a thousand years and then thrown into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. His days are numbered. Jesus has defeated him. And I want you to know something. You you may have had some setbacks in your walk with God. You may have have had some times where the devil has tempted you and you've given in to the temptation. But I want you to know that God has appointed a seed. And his name is Jesus Christ. And every time you come to Jesus as a child of God and you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, God has appointed a seed for you. The Bible says we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Um, 2,000 years ago, Jesus took your sin upon himself at the cross. He paid the price for it. He bore the wrath of God for it. He said, it is finished. It's paid in full. And he breathed his last and then he rose again. And the Bible says, because of what Jesus did, if you're willing today in faith to choose to turn from your sin and receive the gift of eternal life, God will give that to you as a gift based upon what Christ has done.
That's God's promise. God has appointed a seed. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I hear people sometimes say, well, there's a lot of ways to salvation. There's a lot of way to heaven. Uh, there's just one way. God has appointed the seed. If you reject God's way, there is no hope. There's just one way. There's just one purpose that God has to redeem the souls of men, and that's Jesus Christ. It's the plan, even from the time of Adam and Eve's sin, it's been the plan. Before that, it was the plan. Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So, come to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. I want to tell you something. He can restore you. He can give you new life. You say, well, I'm a good person. I don't really need Jesus. Well, first of all, you're not a good person according to Scripture. You see, we may be good compared to each other, but we're not good compared to God. None of us. There's no, none righteous. No, not one. You need Christ. But the second thing is you need the relationship that comes with a relationship with Christ. You are designed, every human being I believe is designed with a God-shaped vacuum. I didn't come up with that, but, but I believe it's true. Uh, you have a, a need. There's something in your heart that will not be satisfied until you have a relationship with Christ. You need that walk with him and that relationship with him to bring you the joy and the peace that you need in life. Um, but also, you need it because you need to escape eternal judgment. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. I want to tell you something. The presence of God cannot remain in the presence of sin. One, one scripture and uh, uh, individual that was sharing the scripture was talking about uh, judgment is without mercy. And he's talking about on sin apart from the blood of Christ. Because if you don't have Christ in your life, guess what? God is a just God. God's got to punish that sin. God's got to fulfill the wrath of it, pour out that wrath upon you. And the Bible speaks of a literal place called hell, where those who don't know Christ will be forever and ever in torment. It's not a pleasant teaching. It's not something that people talk about a lot in our culture today, but it is a reality. God doesn't want anybody to experience that. Matter of fact, it's actually prepared for the devil and his angels. But those who reject God's provision, Jesus Christ, there'll be no other place for them in eternity. Come to Christ before it's too late. He has appointed the seed. By the way, when you make that choice, Jesus becomes your hope. And, I, and that hope can never be taken away. It's a hope, sure, and steadfast. It's a hope that enters into the very presence of God. I want you to know something. Hell itself can't take away your hope once you put your faith in Jesus. You are kept in his hands forever. So, how does God restore our hope? He appoints the seed. Secondly, he extends his grace. He extends his grace. Look at verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Living one. Now, go back up to verse 19 because I love the way Scripture puts things together. He's, he's talking about Adam's curse. He says, you will eat 
by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. And the very next word, the very next verse he says, Adam named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Is that not ironic? You're going to dust, Adam says, you're the mother of the living. By the way, it wasn't just Adam that said it. God, I believe, inspired these words through the pen of Moses. Moses, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, set this verse right next to the previous verse for a reason. Because Jesus is in the business of bringing to life what's dead. He's in the business of extending God's grace. Listen, I want to tell you something. I don't deserve to be a preacher of the gospel. I don't deserve to be a child of God. And neither do you. But by God's grace. I love it. But Paul said, look, I, I, I'm the least. Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. I persecuted the ch- church of God. But. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I want to say, what is grace? Grace is God's undeserved favor. Somebody once said, grace is an acrostic. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus paid the price so that you could receive the undeserved favor of God in your life. That's grace. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Guess what? God brings you to life. Did you know when you're lost, you're dead in your trespasses and sin? It's not that God gives you a little help. God has to resurrect you. You're spiritually dead until you receive the grace in Christ, and then he makes you a new creation. He brings you to life spiritually. You're a new creation. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Not optional. There must be something. Religion's not enough, Nicodemus. Being good's not enough. You need to be born from within. And this is something that only happens by the grace of God. Aren't you glad that at the very moment of their defeat that God includes in his word a prediction of his grace? I want to tell you something. Where sin abounds, there did much more grace abound. If you're a child of God, I want you to know God's grace is greater than your sin. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Trust Him for that grace and live in it. Um, If you don't know Christ, you need God's grace. Come to Jesus to receive it. So, How does God restore our hope? He appoints the seed. Secondly, he extends his grace. Thirdly, he prescribes his covering. He prescribes his covering. Uh, Look at verse 21. The Lord God made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now, what had Adam and Eve done? They'd gotten fig leaves. Now, fig leaves, I understand, uh, in the book I read, have got pretty big leaves. They'd made, they kind of stitched some of those leaves together. What probably wasn't too comfortable. I'll probably be itchy. I don't know. But uh, anyway, 
Uh, God saw it. Man, that's kind of a pathetic attempt at clothing. It's in, so, uh, but it was, it was more than that. God appointed a covering for them, not only to cover them and to cover the shame that they uh, were experiencing due to their sin, but, but also to give us a picture. No animal had died up until that point. There had been no death. God kills two animals and takes the skins of these animals and he uses them as clothing for Adam and Eve. Now, you say, well, why is that significant? Well, the word that's used for clothing is the same word that the Hebrew uses for atonement. The word atonement means to cover. It's, it's used in the scripture where it talks about offering the offerings upon this, the uh, altar as a sacrifice of atonement, of covering over our sin. Even here at this early time of failure, <laughs> with the first sin, God had his plan of atonement. I want to tell you something, bulls and goats never got it done. The ultimate atonement would come at Calvary 2,000 years ago for us. Jesus died on the cross, and through his death, our sins are covered. I love the way Colossians puts it. He took out the handwriting that was against us. That is, all of our sins that are recorded. Took out the handwriting that was against us. He blotted it out. He took it out of the middle. In other words, as a barrier between us and God, and he nailed it to Christ's cross. What's that mean? when they crucified somebody, they would nail the charge above their head for which they died. You remember they wrote, literally wrote, the king of the Jews. And the Jewish people didn't like it. Pilate said, oh, what I've written, I've written. Uh, that's, that's what they were talking about. But though that was the, the actual words that were put by Pilate, God had his own set of words up there. And it was your sin and it was my sin. Packed above the head of Jesus, he died for mine and for yours, and God blotted out every sin. Isn't that wonderful? He took his divine eraser. If you're from the, the last generation, he took his white out. If you're from the new generation, he took his delete key. Okay? Uh, whatever it is, the sin record is gone. It's nailed to the cross of Christ. My sin is covered over. By the blood and the sacrifice that Jesus made at Calvary's cross. And so God gave Adam and Eve a picture of how he was going to deal with their sin. And he gave them hope in the midst of their failure. Put your trust in God's hope. In God's atoning sacrifice for sin. If you're lost, you need to put your faith in Christ. If you're saved, continue to rest in the fact that your sins are as far as the east is from the west and buried in the sea of forgetfulness. So, how does God restore our hope? He appoints the sea. He extends his grace. He prescribes his covering. Fourthly, he declares his purposes. Look at verse 24. Excuse me, verse 23. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground. Now, you say, well, that sounds like a, a punishment. In one sense, it was because Adam had 
been caring for the, the garden, and it had its own sprinkler system, you know, the water raising up from the ground, and everything was perfect, and now he's going to have to till the ground and work the ground and so forth. So in that, in that sense, it's a part of the curse with the thorns and thistles. But in another sense, God is saying, I'm not through with you. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. If I'd, if I'd have been God, I might have said, you know what, Adam? I gave you everything your heart could desire. I gave you every kind of fruit to eat, every kind of food to eat. I gave you a wife. I gave you all of these things, and this is how you repay me. I'm done with you, and let's wash the hands and be finished. But God wasn't done with Adam and Eve. He said, Adam, I still have a purpose for you. I still have a plan. You're going to work the ground. Did you know God has a purpose for your life? If you don't yet know Christ, his number one purpose for you is to find Jesus Christ. He wants, to, he wants you to make a decision to turn from your sin and receive the gift of eternal life. That's his purpose for you. He loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. If you're here today and you're a child of God, God has a purpose for you in your life. You are his special, custom-designed creation. Made for his purpose. Gifted by the Holy Spirit in specific ways to do a ministry within his church and to make a difference in the community. God has given you a purpose. I believe God gives us a vocational purpose. He calls us to a, that's actually, actually what vocation means, called out uh, one. You know, you're, you're called to a task, a, a work, a job that you do. Uh, to bring a benefit uh, to this world. Also, you're called to be a light in your workplace, right? That's a purpose that God has given us. You interact with people at your work that probably won't come through the doors of this church, but you can have an influence upon their lives. God gives us a purpose in the families in which he's placed us. Uh, My dad uh, uh, has... Has, didn't come from a Christian background, and he, 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 his, his parents eventually were, were saved. Um, my grandfather was actually saved on his deathbed. But my dad often wondered, why wasn't I raised in a Christian home? I would have loved to have been raised in a Christian home. Uh, but here's the thing. God had a purpose for him. And God, he, he actually said, he said, I was praying about it one day. I believe God showed me why, so that I would understand what people are going through and be able to minister to them more effectively. God has put you in the family. And guess what? Two of my uncles, this has been probably, I don't know, two or three years ago. My dad just felt burdened to share Christ with them. And he said, you know, I know you guys profess that you, you've, you've trusted Christ. He said, but I have concern about your salvation. And he said, uh, you know, he witnessed to them and he, he invited them uh, to be saved. And they did. They, they prayed with him. And, um, my, and one of those, those two uncles died two weeks later. And uh, my aunt told my dad at the funeral, the last two weeks I've had a different husband. God's put you in your family for a reason. You have a purpose to fulfill. 
He's put you in this church for a reason. I want to tell you something. Some of the, some of the sweetest saints of God that I've had the privilege to minister to over the years have not realized how God uses them. You know, I think sometimes when you're humble, you don't realize it. You don't, you don't uh, see what others see and so forth and how God is using you. And, but I want to tell you something. You have been placed in this church for a reason. God has a purpose for you. Use your gifts, serve, encourage. If you've got speaking gifts, you know, speak for the Lord. Whatever it is that God's called you to do, fulfill your purpose in this church. Live with the purpose of God. You've got a purpose in this community. You've got a purpose to serve and reach out. Uh, God has filled our lives with purpose. Do you recognize what a great blessing that is? I want to tell you something. Christianity has so much more to offer than what the world offers. If I'm just the, the, uh, an accident, I've got no purpose. I'm just here. I think that's one of the reasons we have so much despondency in this world. Listen, you've been made with a purpose. You're a child of the living God. Thank Him. Praise Him. You don't deserve it, but hallelujah, He's done it. He's given that purpose to you to fulfill. You can join in the work of the kingdom that has more significance than anything else that's happening in this world. I want to tell you something. They may not talk on the, on the 10, 10 o'clock news uh, about what's happening in our church, but I'll tell you this, it's more important than what's happening out in the world. What happens through the ministry of this church is eternal in value. Don't ever forget that. You've been made with a purpose. Praise God that he gives us a purpose even in our failure. And by the way, let me say one other thing before I leave that. If you, if you are called to, to do a job out in the world, do it with excellence. If that's God's purpose that he's given you for your life, even if it's his purpose for a season. You know, you may be preparing for something else. But for a season, you're in this particular job. God has called you to that place. And the Bible says, whatever you do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord. Christians ought to be the people employers want to hire. I'll think, boy, you know, I I like hiring those Christians. They're honest, they work hard, they do what they're supposed to do. That's not always the case. So, uh, recognize that it is a purpose from God and fulfill the purpose that God has given you. How does God restore our hope? He appoints the seed, he extends his grace, he prescribes his covering, and he declares his purposes. Thank God for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for the the great message from your word that there is hope even in our failure. Even in our struggle, God, that you are with us. You've said you'll never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that Jesus came, lived a perfect life in our place, died on Calvary's cross to bear our sin and our penalty. And rose again. Father, I pray that even in this invitation time, you would help us respond in the ways that you desire us to respond. Uh, Father, if there's a Christian that's discouraged that needs prayer, that uh, uh, help them to come uh, for prayer. If, if they need to come to the altar, maybe 
confess a sin, uh, Lord. Uh, thank you for the hope you give us, Lord.